here's a, a point I'd like to make. The best kind of propaganda is the truth. So I love to make my jokes, which are not jokes, <laughs> because nobody believes me. And this is the most fantastic, except for Mrs. Forrest, of course, but that's just her job <laughs> to trust and verify. Anyway, uh, this is the second leg, the second unveiling. I promised I wouldn't, I promised you I wouldn't talk too much about Kosciuszko's background, because Maria will take care of it. And I would like to uh, welcome Maria, who is our associate director at the Kosciuszko chair, if she runs it. The reason why we stumble all the time is because she's uh, ditched us. She thought she'd be gone five minutes, but she's now gone what, about a month. And I don't resent her, but there are some people who really dislike having to do work. Because she did everyone's work before. She had to ditch us because she gave birth. Well, she's back. Undeterred. I'm surprised she didn't bring the baby. But I guess the baby can play by himself. George. So I'd like to congratulate Maria and welcome her. She'll tell us all about the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth in the United States. <laughs> Multilingual, multi degree, blah blah blah. We love it. It's a great pleasure to be here with you. Uh, I make the effort to make it three weeks after my baby boy was born. So I really hope you will uh, like the presentation. It was a bit hurried between one feeding and another, but I did my best to do justice to uh, Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Uh, and um, I'm very happy to be here, uh, also because we have just ce celebrated the bicentenary of uh, General Tadeusz Kościuszko's death. And uh, certainly this is an important person for the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth and also for the United States of America. I find it really interesting how the heroes of the Polish cause are also the heroes of the American cause, which shows so the um, affinity between the two countries and the affinity between the political traditions of the two countries on which I'm going to focus in my presentation. So, as you can see, uh, most people who are from Poland are familiar. I guess that most people from America, too. We have General Kazimir Pulaski and uh, General Tadeusz Kościuszko. They were the heroes of the American War of Independence, and they also happened to be Polish nobles. And due to, um, due to the recent bicentenary, I was wondering what made them so sympathetic to the American cause. Uh, and in my presentation I want to show that there are more links that we may expect between Poland and America, and the history of Poland and the history of America. So Thomas Jefferson, who was a great friend of General Kościuszko, referred to him in a letter to Horatio Gates, who was one of the generals in the War of Independence, as he is as pure son of liberty as I have ever known, and of that liberty which is to go to all, and not to the few or the rich alone. So the idea of uh, a country which is uh, for everyone, the country of citizens, 
was close to the heart of General Kościuszko, who was a Polish noble. So in this regard, it may seem quite paradoxical how come that a noble is so sympathetic to the cause of all the people. And this is the result of the very peculiar Polish tradition that I am going to discuss in detail further on. Um, so I believe that um, this attitude stems from the original form of uh, Polish-Lithuanian um, uh, Commonwealth, which was a republic just like um, America. And um, first of all, uh, we need to remember that America was funded uh, as a result of uh, the, the ideas of enlightenment. The founding fathers of America were inspired by Locke and also um, by the uh, tradition of American of English parliamentarism and French Revolution. However, Poland came up with the republican system uh, much earlier in the pre-modern era, and Polish uh, the republic in the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was predicated upon. Christian values in a much more direct way than the America was. Of course, founding fathers were deists, and uh, there is also a Christian element in the founding of America, but in the case of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, uh, it is a much more direct and much more Catholic tradition. Uh, so, apart from that, we also have to remember about the uh, original Slavic a social arrangement which played certain part. 400 years of uh, decentralization and unification that shaped Poland in a certain way. Uh, and also by the factor um, which is non-existent in case of America. Namely, America is a continent that has a very good uh, geographical situation. It has oceans on two sides, and two quite peaceful neighbors on, at, uh, in the north and in the south. This was not the case of Poland. Poland is, situation in the center, is situated in the center of Europe, and as a result, it has um, um, competition, so to say, to the east and to the west. And this was an additional factor that influenced Polish identity throughout the ages, because Poles had to not only come up with a shape of the republic to suit their internal needs, but also with a shape of a republic that would be good um, to face external threats of much more serious nature than America uh, is lucky to have. Um, so first, I would like to uh, I would like to remind the words of Abraham Lincoln from the Lyceum Address, in which he said that um, the danger to the American Republic is to be expected not from the outside but from within, and uh, of course, due to geographical location, in Poland we had the external enemies. But this aspect of the enemy from within is also important, uh, and I will elaborate on it later on. But when we look for uh, the similarities between Poland and between America, uh, the similarities appear not only in the sphere of ideas and not only in the sphere of 
of uh, politics, but also in, in the nature of certain threats to the system, uh, about which Americans were conscious from the very inception of the state, and about which the polls were quite unfortunate to find out only through practice of republicanism in Poland. And um, my reasoning will go along the lines of the preamble to the um, Declaration of Independence, which is one of the two documents that form the framework of the American political system. And uh, we will focus on equality, on the notion of the unalienable rights, uh, on the government that derives its power from the consent of the governed, uh, on the rights uh, of people to seek for safety and happiness, and also on the right of people to uh, overthrow a despotic government. Uh, so I am very happy to take you on a journey through the history of Poland. It's going to be a super quick journey because there are many hundreds of years to cover, but I hope that I will be able to show you um, the similarities between the history of the first Polish state, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, and uh, American Republic. So first of all, I believe that equality uh, is a function, uh, it, that equality in the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was partly a function of the original Slavic uh, social structure. And what we have to remember is that the Slavic tradition of government uh, is, uh, has evolved from uh, general assemblies of uh, tribes. So the elders of the tribe would get together, discuss different topics of importance to the tribe, and then uh, the, those matters would be discussed at the general assembly, which was called Vecha. So this was this is a different approach to decision making than in other uh, in other tribes than the Germanic tribes or the Celtic tribes. It's an original Polish arrangement, and this arrangement evolved throughout the ages into peculiar Polish parliamentarism, uh, which in certain regards was similar to the English parliamentarism, but was, uh, I believe. Um, more inclusive in terms of how many people were involved in decision making. Uh, and here, uh, after um, um, here, for those who are not Polish, uh, I need to briefly sketch the Polish history. Basically, we had two dynasties of kings: the Piast kings and then the Jagiellon kings. And then we had a period of elective monarchy when the monarch was elected. So this is the framework along which the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was gradually evolving into a republic. Uh, so in the first period, we have the nascence of the Polish parliamentary system, when the idea that the government is uh, local and that the local people have influence on the government is formed. Uh, then it is also accompanied by the development of uh, the Polish noble class, which uh, is a very curious phenomenon, because um, the nobles in Poland uh, 
accounted for almost 10% of the population. It's 10 times more than in all the other European countries at the time. Usually the, um, the class of the nobles was very small and this was really an elite circle around the court of the king. Whereas in Poland, uh, this group was much bigger and uh, what is more, it was also inclusive. It was relatively easy to join the ranks of the Polish nobility. As a result, they might be compared to the, to the idea of the Jeffersonian Yemen farmers. They were mostly plowing the land of their own. They owned the land, but they were in fact farmers. However, they had the right to, uh, to uh, gain and to bear arms and they had very distinctive identity that uh, made them believe that they were noble and that as such they had to abide by certain rules that were more or less in line with the Christian ideas of um, with the Christian ideals of honorable behavior. Then we have the period of the Hegelonian rule, where we, uh, where the union of Poland and Lithuania is being formed. It begins with the personal union and ends with the real union. Uh, those who are uh, no, more knowledgeable in history know that the real union is uh, the union of the two countries that decide to enter into a political alliance. Personal union is the union when it's the person of the king that unites the two countries, which throughout this period uh, remain quite separate. So coming from the personal to the real union, um, Poland-Lithuania Poland, was slowly adapting certain legal solutions. Polish solutions were adopted by the um, parts that joined Poland, which was Prussia, Ruthenia, Livonia, and Lithuania. Um, so, um, by the time the last um, Jagiellonian king died, Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was formed. It was formed three years before his death, and it was um, the decision to form a real union was to change the course of history of Europe, because Poland has become uh, the most powerful and the largest country in Europe for two centuries. Then we have the last period of deterioration, uh, which is going to be related to uh, the risk of factions and the danger from within, uh, which I already mentioned, and which is one of the aspects of the life of every republic. And now I will focus on the notion of uh, unalienable rights. I already mentioned that America was uh, inspired, in fact, by the ideas of the Enlightenment. Uh, however, Poland was inspired by, more by a more direct Christian influence. And um, we have this idea of antemorale christianitatis, which means uh, the borderline and the frontier of Christendom in Europe. And the Polish novels, they, they really had this idea of them as being a class which is defending Christianity, and um, they saw their duties and obligation in Christian terms. Um, and as a result, the identity of Polish people was shaped 
in opposition to certain external threats, uh, such as Mongol invasions, the, ta the Tatar uh, raids, the Ottoman Turks, as well as uh, Muscovy, which, although it was orthodox, espoused the Mongol ways of uh, power-wielding and political life, and also the, the so-called missionary activity of the Teutonic Order, uh, which was a very interesting, um, which was a very interesting factor, because even though officially they were a Christian order, the way they um, conducted political activities was really nefarious. So even though they were Christian on the surface, the, their ways were not really Christian, which was openly contested on the international arena by the Polish scholars. And the um, periods of fights and international litigation between Poland and the Teutonic Order uh, also formed a part of Polish identity and somehow tainted the neighbors to the west of Poland because Poles until today tend to associate Germany with the Teutonic Knights to a certain extent. <laughs> All right, so we have the centuries of political struggle in the region, which gives, which gives the Poles a sense of individual uh, freedoms and inalienable rights, uh, just as the American <coughs> citizens had this sense of, uh, of the fact that they are endowed with inalienable rights, even if they are the subjects of the British crown, they are still citizens and deserve to be treated as citizens. Then uh, I would like to mention the government um, and the consent of the governed. And in Poland we have two aspects. One is the civil liberties and the other aspect is the rise of parliamentarism. Um, first of all, with regards to civil liberties, we have to mention the very specific custom of the Polish monarchs, namely um, the privileges. Um, the privileges were uh, given by the monarchs to certain social groups to gain their support. And initially it was given, the privilege was given only for a time of life of the ruler, and then when the ruler died, the next ruler had to reconfirm the privilege. He, he, he would usually do that locally and for a certain fee. However, this practice would later evolve into the king negotiating with the nobles um, the extent of his power and their power. Because in Poland we had a very peculiar situation due to external threats and, um, and re repeated ra raids of different enemies such as Mongols and the Tatars and also uh, the Teutonic Knights, the cities were not strong. So, in contrary to Western Europe, where monarchs would often ally with burghers and uh, build a front, so to say, against the nobility, in Poland, the cities were not strong enough. So the monarch, when he wanted the money and he wanted the support for, his, for the conduction of international affairs, that is, wars, he had to go to the nobility and ask for their support. So they would supply him with arms and money, but not for free. And this is how privileges given by the, by the monarchs 
led to the increase of power among the Polish nobility, which, uh, due to other reasons, was exceptionally numerous, giving them the uh, political leverage, so to say, and resulting in the strong sense that they do possess civil liberties and that have and that they have natural right to participate in government. And here, just uh, I wanted for those who are interested in history, there is a list of privileges that led to the increase of civil liberties in Poland. I only wanted to mention the privilege of Kosice, which was. <coughs> akin to the American rule of no taxation without representation. Only it's 400 years before the no taxation between representation. 400 years is, is a long time. Even now, 400 years is a long time. And the other privilege is the privilege of Jadlinia, which corresponds to the English Habeas Corpus Act. And again, in Poland, the law, which contains similar ideas, was passed 250 years earlier than in England. So this shows you that even though Poland was on the outskirts of Europe, so to say, it was uh, considered by the Western Europe as some land out there. In terms of political thinking and in terms of sophistication of political ideas, it was far, far before uh, other Western European countries. And here we have the um, tradition of Polish parliamentarism, which, uh, which again is the emanation of the concern, of the consent of the governed for the government. Uh, and I already mentioned the process of going through personal to a, re to a real union, uh, that led to the gradual transformation of the system and the rise of the parliamentarism. Uh, and here I would like to also mention that Jagiellonian kings had a very peculiar position as monarchs. Uh, it happened so to the fact uh, that in the 14th century, Poland had a king who was a woman. So uh, I think it's exceptional because Hedwig uh, d'Anjou, she was crowned the king of Poland. She was not considered a queen. Uh, there was as this idea already in the minds of the Polish politicians that a king is a political function. So they had no problem with accepting the daughter of the Louis d'Anjou as a king of Poland. So as a result, her husband became the king consort. So when Hedwig died in childbirth and her daughter Bonifacia um, died a little, a little before her, uh, Poland was left with a monarch who was not a king. He was a king consort. And he had to negotiate the right to remain the Polish king even though the real Polish king, Hedwig, died. So they agreed and her husband, uh, Władysław Jogaila, uh, started the new Polish dynasty. But as a result, he was an interloper. He was not a Pole, he was a Lithuanian. So, so his dynasty had to negotiate even more with the Polish nobility, because their position, politically speaking, was not that strong. 
And this partly contributed to the rise of Polish parliamentarism. The king was just, by virtue of his own pedigree, so to say, he was weaker than the monarchs in Western Europe. And here we have, uh, we have um, again, a list of privileges. I want to mention uh, one. In 1942, uh, in 1492, uh, Poland becomes a constitutional monarchy with a monarch that has to be con confirmed by the nobles. So even though he is a member of the Jagiellonian dynasty, and we know that this is the dynasty who rules Poland, he still has to be confirmed. So when in 1572 the Jagiellonian dynasty expires, Poland ends up with elective kings. So it's 1572. It's 200 years before America is born, and we already have an elective, uh, elective head of state. So when you see at, uh, when you look at the solutions at the political solutions that the Poles were choosing and coming up with, uh, you see that they are extremely modern and that they are extremely flexible. And akin, which is akin to the American tradition that attempted at building a completely new country, a, a better political system. Then the principles of, organi of organization for safety and happiness. Uh, here I would like to focus on the flexibility of the system of the Union. All the component parts of the Union, Livonia, uh, Prussia, Ruthenia and Lithuania that were joining the, the Polish crown, because this is, uh, what, this is how Poland was called, the crown, uh, were given uh, legal autonomy. So they were not being incorporated um, and forced to accept Polish solutions. They were allowed to accept their, they were allowed to keep their legal tradition and their legal solutions, and they were only adapted. Um, as far as Lithuania is concerned, uh, there was a Lithuanian statute that assembled all the Lithuanian laws. However, the Lithuanian highest court was not in any way subject to the Polish highest court. And the administration of Lithuania uh, kept their own language, the Ruthenian language. So even though it was the real union, they still had considerable level of autonomy, which accounts for the success of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, because it was not repressive. It was uh, inclusive, just like America was. There is a level of federal government and there, and there is a level of state government. And state governments have considerable level of independence. Of course, uh, this needn't be practiced. And sometimes federal government is stronger and sometimes state government is stronger. But the idea of flexibility and possibility of autonomy is there. Also, what is uh, important to mention, Poland guaranteed very extensive religious freedom and also autonomy to different ethnic groups. So Armenians were one ethnic group um, and also Jews. 
uh, that had so extensive an autonomy that Poland uh, used to be known as Paradisius Judaeorum, which means the paradise of the Jews. And finally, in the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, 80% uh, of the European Jewry uh, found their home. And what I put in here is, um, is the, um, an expert excerpt from the, um, from the bill passed by the Polish Parliament in 1573, after the horrible events of the night of Saint Bartholomew in France, and knowing that a uh, uh, French king, uh, Henri de Valois, is going to, to be the first elective king of Poland, the Polish nobles got together and they said, oh no, we cannot allow for such a slaughter in our country. Even though we're going to have a French king, we cannot allow for the solutions that may come with this traditional government. And they passed a bill that granted uh, religious toleration to all denominations which actually is so liberal that the solutions accepted later on at the end of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth were less liberal than this one. And here I really want to read it because to me it, it seems amazing that 500 years ago, it's half a millennium, people were able to come uh, with such a modern idea. And whereas in our commonwealth there are considerable differences in the Christian religion, these have not caused disorders among people as, the, as detrimental as have begun in other kingdoms that we have clearly seen. We promise to one another, for ourselves and for our descendants, for all time, pledging our faith, honor and conscience, we swear that we who are divided by faith will keep peace among ourselves and not shed blood on account of differences in faith or church, nor will we allow punishment by the confiscation of goods, deprivation of honor, imprisonment or exile, nor will we in any fashion aid any sovereign or agency in such undertakings. And certainly, should someone desire to spill blood on such account, we all shall be obliged to prevent it, even if the person uses some decree as pretext or cites some legal decision. So, they have, as a nation, as a political nation, they have this sense of the existence of the natural law that underlies the law formed by the government and by the monarch. And they have this sense that if what the monarch decides is not in line with the natural law, they have no moral obligation to abide by it. So, to me, this is exceptional. And, of course, I already mentioned the beautiful influence of the Teutonic Order on our, uh, on our history and on our identity. And it also had repercussions for the international law, because Polish scholars uh, had to come up with the ideas in the field of international law due to constant bickering between them and the... Uh, the Teutonic Order that got uh, a part of the Polish lands as a fief in the 13th century and then uh, usurped power in it under a false pretense. So trying to prove that um, the Teutonic Order was not right in doing what they did, 
the Poles came up with a number of ideas um, referring to international law, which preceded the ideas um, that Western philosophers came up with by approximately 200 years. And the Polish Renaissance School of International Relations was very innovative and deeply humanistic. It had respect for human life and freedom of nations. And it tried to apply the republican rules that were practiced in the Polish-Lithuanian <coughs> Commonwealth to international affairs. And uh, here uh, you can have a look again for those more interested. Uh, we have the ideas related to the doctrine of just war, peaceful cooperation with pagans declared as possible, which was not the line that the Teutonic Order was taking. Um, the notions of international law, such as self-defense, legality of pagan states, war reparations, refusal to obey command if a war is obviously unjust. So I, I guess that we should have some of those ideas reintroduced to international affairs now, uh, but again, for 15th century, it's very innovative. And here I also need to mention Laurentius Grimaldius Coslitius and his book, the, the Optimo Senatore, which was translated into English as the counselor exactly portrayed and became immensely popular in England. And possibly it has influenced the thinking of Locke and through him, the founding fathers of America. And Goslicius was postulating that king is only an executive. He, he was denying this um, God-destined, God like he was saying, well, this is a function. And then <clears throat> uh, he, as such, he has to abide by law as well. So Goslitius was saying that the law is above the king, not that king is the law, which, which is a turning point in thinking. <clears throat> and then the right to throw off despotic government. <clears throat> this is... Why are you so surprised? Because your baby will be sick. Oh, no, I, I thought... There is some despotic government to overthrow no, I here. Like, I love to <laughs> overthrow despotic governments. Well, uh, <coughs> of course, uh, in terms of uh, American thinking, it, it, they meant the, the despot in England. And they meant their right to be independent and to build their own state if their rights as citizens are not being respected by the English crown. But I believe that there is also... Um, a more ref a, a different way of looking at despotism, uh, namely the nation has the right to um, conquer the despots that are born within the nation, and in and in this regard, uh, Poland was trying to achieve it but failed, and this is why Polish Lithuanian uh, Polish Lithuanian state ceased to exist. Namely, with time, especially in the 18th century when Poland was exhausted with wars that took place in the 17th century, private inter interests of big land owners started to overtake the state interests. 
and they lost this sense of uh, being a community uh, and as a result the private interests of factions started to override the national interests which is one of the dangers that was pointed out by the founding fathers of America as well the danger of faction and <clears throat> Poland had one peculiar constitutional instrument which was called liberum veto it was the right of one to nullify the decisions of all and it was introduced into the Polish uh, tradition only as a safeguard so that to ensure that all the nobles are equal each of them had the right to say I'm, I don't agree I put my free one vote against all of you and you cannot conclude this decision so this was only a theoretical instrument until the half of the 17th century when it started to be used more and more and ultimately it was used by foreign powers and by internal factions to completely stall the activity of the Polish parliament. Uh, however, this is the danger from within about which Thomas Jefferson was talking. That we have an instrument in our political tradition that is there and is not dangerous as long as all people are moral. But the moment we get corrupted, it can undermine the whole system and ultimately lead to the fall of the whole republic, which, which was what happened in Poland. The last attempt uh, to save the failing state was the first constitution in Europe, which followed shortly the American constitution, which was the first in the world. So here we have another uh, link that links Polish tradition to the American tradition. And uh, this was this effort of a part of the Polish uh, society to reform the country. They could see it falling and they were trying to counteract, but the steps that they took <coughs> at reform were too late. However, the ideas um, that the state and legal regulations are an emanation of the moral order is very strong in, in the Polish nation. It still pervades Polish thinking. The notion of honor, the notion that we have to stand for what is right, is still an element of Polish identity. Even though years passed, we've been through partitions, through two wars, through <coughs> Soviet occupation, there is still the idea planted in the minds of Poles by the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. And hopefully the ideas of freedom in American Republic uh, prove to be as resilient as the ideas of freedom in the Polish one. So, was Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth the United States before the United States? <coughs> they were both democratic republics. The state was governed by the decisions of a parliamentary body whose source of legitimization was the, concern, the consent of the governed who delegated power to the parliament. Executive power was headed by an elected official who was bound by a set of checks and balances. Legal tradition was based on justice and natural law. Um, both countries were successful as federations and expanded peacefully. And um, the legal instruments ensured by their constitutions may also be twisted in such a way as to endanger the Republic. We cannot have only po positive points here. 
with regards to the citizens, the citizens possessed active and passive voting rights because any any Polish noble could uh, run for uh, for being a monarch. In theory, they all had this uh, law under uh, in under the elective king period regime. And then they all had the right to bear arms and they all had equal influence on popular elections. And then there are certain cherries on the cake like bestowing aristocratic <coughs> titles were, was forbidden both in Poland and in, in America to ensure equality at some point. And uh, both republican systems can function as long as their citizens are moral. The moment the corruption begins, the Republic tends to turn into a more uh, oppressive form of government. And just to finish with General Kościuszko, just as we began with General Kościuszko, uh, I would say that he was a visionary also with regards to American uh, political affairs, because in his last will, he made uh, Thomas Jefferson the uh, executor of, of the will <coughs> and he asked Jefferson to sell the estate which Kościuszko got in reward for his um, participation in the War of Independence and to uh, destine the money um, gained in this way for the purchase and freeing of slaves and giving them education that would enable them to function as uh, fully-fledged citizens of America. This will has never been realized due to some uh, legal complications, but also the lack of will. The ideas of uh, Kościuszko became, turned out to be too difficult to realize at the moment of his death, which was already in the 19th century. So he, with his freedom thinking and pro-civil rights thinking uh, that was shaped by the tradition of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, saw that the slavery is going to be a difficult, um, difficult issue in America. And he, and he would much rather go against it because he somehow felt that this was against the ideas that both countries were standing for and were built on. Thank you.